Hello and welcome to Ag PhD Radio. I'm Darren Hefty. And I'm Brian Hefty. Thanks for joining us today. We've got a great show for you. We're going to talk a little about balancing soil fertility today throughout the show. We're also going to get to your questions. I know we've gotten a lot of those in here in the last 24 hours even in the Ag PhD mailbag. If you've got a question for us, you could email us, radio at agphd.com, or you could give us a call here. Our phone lines will be open throughout the show. The number is 844-44-AG-PHD. That's 844-442-4743. All right, so talking about balancing soil fertility, that it all sounds nice, but what does that mean exactly? What is the right balance in soil? One of the things, we've talked about it a lot here over the last couple of years on the show is just on your own farm, we would encourage you to compare yields to all your different soil test levels. And if you have enough test data from enough years, you're going to be able to figure out, well, what is balance and what is not? I'll just give you a couple examples off our own farm. I can go back, well, this is 25 years ago now, um, but, (laughs) or, or at least 20, where we started really ramping up our phosphorus and potassium. And the problem was we weren't equivalently ramping up our zinc. So pretty soon we realized, uh-oh, we got a problem here. Our, we're out of balance. And the zinc was now hurting our yield. We've also gone the other way where just a few years ago we said, okay, um, we have really put on or we really need a lot of zinc to get to that next yield level. So let's let's throw a whole bunch out. Well, what I think a lot of people forget is if you build your phosphorus and your zinc levels up so they're in ratio, the 10 to 1 thing we talk about quite often, and they're both at high levels, it takes almost no time for you to completely deplete your soil of phosphorus, yet it might take you 50 years to complete your to uh, completely deplete your soil of zinc. And so what happened was our phosphorus levels got low compared to our zinc levels. So again, I come back to that. What we've kind of found, it's somewhere around 8 to 1, 10 to 1, 12 to 1, somewhere in that range, phosphorus to zinc for us. That is balance. If we're out of balance where the ratio is too high or the ratio is too low, we're losing yield. So that's the kind of stuff we're going to talk about a little bit throughout the show today. And again, if you've got any questions for us, just send us an email or give us a call. Right now, let's get to the Ag PhD mailbag. It's the mailbag. All right. First question comes from Shane. He said, I'm curious about foliar fertilizer. How long do the benefits of adding a foliar fertilizer last? Is this something not long. that can last longer than a week nope. in the plant, or is it something Probably that not. needs to continually be spoon-fed throughout the season? Yes. And I'm wondering, do certain nutrients have a better growth stage in corn or soybeans for application? We're dryland farmers in Nebraska, so we would have to use the sprayer to apply foliars. Wait, was his question, which nutrients could go in foliar better than others? Is that the question? He said, do certain nutrients have a better growth stage that that they might respond to in corn and soybeans for a foliar application? Well, that's a very tricky question because it all comes down to you've got to have an ample amount and a balanced amount, like our topic today, of nutrients in the plant at all times. So you tell me when your crop's going to run out. If you are dry 
and you didn't have a lot of nutrients in the soil to begin with, then odds are your roots aren't picking up what they need right off the bat. But I don't know exactly when that's going to happen. So I have not seen any conclusive research showing, yep, you absolutely put your zinc on at this time. You absolutely put your boron on at this time. There isn't that because we have too much variance in terms of the nutrients in the soil and the nutrients that are already in the plant. I would just say you want to be on the early side always with everything. So if I'm going to make a mistake, I would rather make the mistake on the early side than on the late side. Because if you make the mistake on the late side, you've already lost a whole bunch of yield. Uh, If you think about the nutrients that are most in need for that plant, it's nitrogen, phosphorus, potassium, and sulfur. So of those, nitrogen and sulfur are very leachable. And So they aren't going to stick around in a light soil with irrigation. Yeah, if you've got heavy soil and not much rainfall, they'll stick around for quite a while. But my point here is just you got to be thinking about this all the time, that those two nutrients, they could disappear on you pretty quickly. So if let's just say you have lighter soil and all of a sudden you get a six-inch rain, you got to ask yourself, hey, how much nitrogen and sulfur do I think I lost? It's probably a fair amount, so I, I better get out there again right away. Whereas if you don't have rain, you can delay those applications. Now, phosphorus and potassium are much more stable in the soil. Phosphorus is extremely stable in the soil. So if you've got it in the right spot, your odds of needing to apply at certain times are not nearly as critical. And also, I would say phosphorus is not taken in by foliar feeding very well. So if you've got the soil loaded up, then I I don't know that I would get that terribly worried about the phosphorus. Potassium... Heavy soil, dry land, I'm not too worried, Uh, but I will say if you're going for really high yields, and especially if you have lighter soil and lots of moisture, then adding some potassium as you go throughout the season is important. But again, all nutrients just never run short. That's the whole key. And (laughs) it's it's tricky, and it's going to vary from year to year. All right, got a few comments that came in here too. Brian, this is from TF. He said, you guys were talking about tillage practices uh, another time here. And said, so, while I understand the need for finding better tillage practices, I doubt it will be less than 10 years before some salesman in North Dakota reinvents selling the plow. Yeah, it is interesting how these things are pretty cyclical. A lot of these ideas, they go out of style for a while and come back in. Uh, get this from NS in South Africa said really like your channel it's been very informative and i like the development over the years and and your explanations hey thanks ns we really appreciate that yeah it's it's fun getting to chat with farmers all over if you ever have agronomic questions don't be afraid to send them our way we we would be happy to to have a look at them for you we're going to be talking today about balancing soil fertility. We do get a lot of questions about this topic, so we thought we'd address it on today's program. We're also taking your calls and agronomic questions at 844-44-AG-PHD. Stay tuned. Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's about time. 
Applied at planning, new Zyway 3D fungicide from FMC delivers foliar disease protection from planting to harvest. Active ingredient Flutriafol moves from the soil through the corn as it grows for inside-out protection from roots to tassel. For season-long protection, choose first-of-its-kind Enfuro Zyway 3D fungicide. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. Did you know soybean diseases like white mold and sudden death syndrome can survive in your soil even after rotating crops? Prevention of these diseases is a constant battle and yield loss from an infection can be devastating. The right management plan makes all the difference. Keep your beans safe this spring with Heads Up Seed Treatment. Heads Up guards your seed from both white mold and SDS. Stay protected and profitable by asking your seed dealer for Heads Up. Learn more at headsupst.com. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy. All the way down to the last drop. AgroLiquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. Back, you're listening to Ag PhD Radio. We're talking about balancing soil fertility, and we're really lucky to have one of the best in the business at doing just that. We've got Kip Cullers on with us now, farms down in Missouri and beyond. Kip, thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, how's the, wor- how's the world treating you up there today? Well, it's cold, Kip. It's really cold. <laughs> we should be a lot further well, south right now. <laughs> yeah, it's not too bad here. It's sunny and I don't know, low 40s, and our problem is it's so darn wet. Man, we're going through another wet winter. You know, we're on the opposite side. We're a little bit dry. We get a little dusting of snow out there, not much. But but uh, one of the things that we did get done before that snow was we got a lot of P&K out there in spots where we really needed it. And I, I think long-term that looks like a good thing for us. What do you see where you farm in Missouri? What are some of those key nutrients that, that you'd say, for the most part, about everybody needs to build up? Yeah, so the P and the K, I mean, gosh, you know, the price had went down on that and, and uh, what, the last two, three years, and, and you could buy it pretty reasonable. I'm afraid that with the price of the commodities going up, that that's probably going to change. But we did the exact same thing, and and we do the, we put it down in the fall so it's ready for the crop in the following year because, uh, you know, it takes a little while for it to break down and, and be plant available. So, uh the main thing is is just keeping all that stuff in balance because you get something way out of balance and we spread a lot of chicken and turkey litter and uh the problem with that is is if we're not careful we'll get our our pee out of whack and uh get it too high and and out of ratio and and uh you know then you start beating your head against the wall it gets tying other stuff up and and uh you know it just becomes a problem you know uh one of the first pieces of ground that brian had i know he was all excited about getting a whole bunch of phosphorus out there and we quickly found out that we also need to throw zinc out there at the same time because uh that zinc got out of base out of out of whack is that what it is for you or is it copper or what else is is getting out of balance you get that p too high we can get the zinc and the copper both out of out of balance and uh a lot of times what we do is fire on farms we have a high high uh 
uh, phosphorus levels. We'll throw a pint of zinc in with our starter fertilizer if we're running starter fertilizer, and, and we get a pretty good bang for our buck with that. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you can you can really cause yourself some headaches if you, you know, somebody goes out there and, and uh, decides to get their K up there to – uh, way out of whack, uh, you know, base, base saturation, uh, you know, 10, and, and then you got a huge problem. It just depends on what your CEC is uh, on how you hold it because I know guys in Sandy Soil, they can do stuff that I can't do. I mean, we have a low low CEC compared to most people or compared to, you know, the guys in Iowa and Illinois where a lot of ours be 12 to 15. But you get some in place where they got real high CECs and they go throwing lots of potassium out there and they get that base saturation you know up there too high and it and it can actually become toxic yeah it, the overdose or the excess i know when we talk with neil kinsey too he talks a lot about that that the the worst problem a lot of guys have is the excess things that are out there that are going to take some time to fix how about for the guys down in south america i know you've done a lot of work down there uh, most of the guys that we talk to in brazil for example will talk about soil ph and they'll say man we got a low ph in a lot of this ground and that's our that's our problem number one what's been your experience uh, all of the above. So uh, a quick story. I was down there and I was talking to a farmer and, and uh, I asked him, and I was in Bahia, the state of Bahia, and there's a lot of white soil there. And uh, I was talking to the farmer and I, I just asked him, I said, uh, how deep is your topsoil? And he said, oh, about 90 meters. And I said, oh, yeah, 300 feet of pure white beach sand. And uh, <laughs> that's the only place I've been in the whole wide world that, I mean, you you cannot. I mean, phosphorus leaches. Uh, they put everything down the row. It's pretty crazy. Somebody typically rides the planter. Depends on where you're at down there. Somebody rides on the planter, makes sure dry fertilizers flowing down the the row, and that's the only way they can control their P and K is they got to put it right there beside the row because there's no building. Uh, maybe parts of Monte Grossa where it's a little redder, uh, where they grow a lot of cotton, a lot of that stuff will be in a little better condition, but, and their, their pH down there, I mean, just absolutely horrid, you know, four would be, you just wouldn't be shocked at yep. four yep. to four or five. And, uh, but you got to remember it's sand. I mean, it's a rainforest. They get a hundred inches of rain a year. And if that wasn't sandy, they would never plant a crop. And that hundred inches comes in a, uh, seven, eight month time frame because they got a dry spell down there, what they call their winter and uh it don't ever rain so imagine getting 100 inches of rain in an eight month period wow yeah i know what 50 inches of rain in a year did here and that was not good <laughs> we were not set up with heavy soils to be able to handle that yeah but but like i said it's the only place i've ever been in the whole wide world that p and k just it, it's you'd think of the sulfur so it, it leaches but if you got 100 feet of or 300 feet of white beach sand, I mean, I understand how it leaches out. Hey, speak about sulfur. Now, that's one that we do get a lot of questions on, and almost everyone we talk to says the more sulfur I put out, the more yield I get, that they don't feel like the, the recommendations on sulfur are quite right. Are, are you in the same camp on that, that we need a little more sulfur than what we've been told? We apply sulfur to every acre every year. Uh, and you got to remember, we've shut down, you know, a lot of our coal plants and stuff, so we're, we lost all of our free sulfur. You know, we got rid of acid rain, 
but now we have to go apply sulfur. So that's one reason I think the sulfur is probably working more is because, you know, we've become more environmental friendly and, and uh, you know, we're, sure. we're just not getting that free sulfur. And so, yeah, we apply sulfur to every acre every year in the form. Usually we'll, we'll spread a dry form like a 21024. And, uh, you know, we'll put 50 to 100 pounds, maybe even 150 pounds out there, depending on what we're, where we've got growing out there. And we also apply that to our soybeans. And uh, the beauty part about the, the nitrogen part on it, it's ammonia, you know, so it goes to work really fast. And, and in our green beans, I don't think there's any way we could grow green beans without ammonia sulfate. You know, you mentioned the the sulfur and needing that every single year, and I was just thinking about just the big-time yields that you've harvested on your farm. You've got a lot of ground in really high production, and then it just adds to your job of, okay, well, I grew this monster crop. Now i got to put back a huge amount of fertility on that field, and it's mostly nitrogen phosphorus, potassium, not as much on the micros, but but they still need a little bit of maintenance. And I've seen on our own farm too, where we build these micro numbers up really high to be able to handle a hundred parts per million of phosphorus or something like that out in the field. Well, if we draw a bunch of that phosphorus down, now our micros are out of balance and too high. So that seeking that balance is, is a little bit of a challenge. I have to imagine it's even a bigger challenge for you when you're raising higher yields. Yeah, very true. And especially like, uh, uh, where we grow green beans, we grow two crops in the same year. And our fall beans, uh, we had lots of acres make, you know, 10, 11, 10 acres. And, I mean, the draw on that is just humongous. And then we went out there and no-tilled wheat in there for a cover crop. Uh, and we're going to kill it here in about another three or four weeks. We don't want it to get too big. But, uh, and there's a reason behind that because last year I let some go a little bit too long. And we had to plow some. Because believe it or not, you get a weed head and a load of green beans, and they're going to reject it <laughs> because we got all these allergies anymore. Gotcha. I used to joke about yeah, I used to joke about mice and snakes and frogs, but now it's weed heads. I mean, it's just uh, it's just crazy what what all you got to watch for anymore. But so we're not going to do that again. Yeah, but, I never uh, would have thought of that. Never would have thought about uh, gluten being a, a big challenge. But you're right; that'd be a really bad weed to have out in a green bean field. Oh, it's absolutely horrible. That's the reason we'll never go green beans behind peanuts. And uh, I think it's three years behind a peanut crop. But, uh, yeah, that, the gluten, I mean, it's it's just amazing on how how we've got all the stuff we have to do anymore. But, but uh, yeah, you start taking off them humongous yields, and, and you've got to watch everything. That's the reason we try the soil test every other year and, you know, make sure we know where we're at. Well, there's, we could just talk all day on fertility issues. We're talking with Kip Cullors down in Missouri, one of the best farmers that we've ever known. Uh, Kip, thank you so much. Really appreciate having you on. Thanks for sharing what you know. Oh, thank you. Talking about building up soil fertility and then balancing that fertility on today's program. Stay tuned. We'll be right back. As a little girl, I always wanted to run the combine because it meant I was helping dad. And dad always said, farmers are helpers. I'm teaching that to my daughters, that farmers help our family, our neighbors, and our community. It's what I do at work. I help farmers get the equipment they need. My name is Kim, I'm a farmer, and I work for Case IH. Case IH, built by farmers. 
Give your corn a strong defense against stress throughout the season with MycoApply Indoprime SC. MycoApply Indoprime SC uses four specially selected species of mycorrhizal fungi to protect your crop against stress. That means more access to water and key micronutrients while building a healthy soil structure for stronger crops for years to come. Stronger corn starts beneath the surface. Learn more about MycoApply Indoprime SC at IndoprimeCorn.com. Always read and follow label instructions. It's not about how quickly you come out of the gate with nitrogen fertilizer, but how strong you finish the race. High Striker uses patent-pending chemistry to stabilize your nitrogen in a form that lasts longer in your crop's root zone. Because for high yields, your nitrogen must last longer, so you can finish the season stronger. Visit agrotechusa.com to learn why so many growers are going the distance with High Striker-treated nitrogen. Heat, drought, wind, hail, northern corn leaf blight, gray leaf spot. If your corn is under stress, you are too. Get Veltima fungicide, swift activity, with fast payback, an expanded application window. Makes life simple, and it's a secure choice, with powerful residual for visibly healthier corn. Swift, simple, secure. Veltima fungicide. Call your BASF rep today. Always read and follow label directions. Veltima fungicide is not registered in all states. You deserve to have a building that will last for generations. With more than 110 years of experience and thousands of satisfied customers, Morton Buildings is the industry leader you can trust. Unlike other construction companies, you work with Morton Buildings craftsmen. From conception to completion, there's no better time to buy. Lock in your new building for 2020 today. Contact your local Morton sales office or visit mortonbuildings.com. Maintaining your crops is as important now as it's ever been. Howler, a revolutionary fungicide from AgBiome, can help. It provides long-lasting protection from a broad spectrum of foliar and soil diseases that affect crops. Howler is OMRI listed, has multiple modes of action, and has minimal pre-harvest and re-entry intervals. It's flexible, easy to use, and is available right now. Visit agbiome.com forward slash howler to learn more. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us today. We're talking about balancing soil fertility, and we're also taking your calls and agronomic questions throughout the show at 844-44-AG-PHD, or you can email us, radio at agphd.com. We get a lot of soil samples in, a lot of folks throughout the year just wondering, where do I start on this? And we've got our friend Bo Shropshire out in California on with us right now. He's a consultant out there. Bo, thanks for joining us. Hey, no problem, Darren. All right. I know you start the same way. You get soil samples and, and your grower is going to say, okay, where do I start with this? Because unfortunately in farming, the money is not endless, so we probably can't fix everything at once. But where do you start when you look at a soil test? Well, yeah, the first thing I look at, I'm always looking at the calcium and magnesium ratios, number one. Then I stop and say, okay, look, let's see what the budget is. What do you have budgeted for this field? What's the crop? What's your expected yield? What's your yield been in the history? You know, so let's let's go from there. Let's let's you know, like going to the doctor's office. You know, go. What do we need? A little background history. So if we go back in, look at the history on the field. <clears throat> pardon me. The seeing what the yields were, what their quality was, and then figure out what their budget is, and then prioritize 
what we need to put on. I mean, we're going to look at, at nitrogen and phosphorus off the off the front end. We'll pay attention to potassium, but I really want to get my calcium levels up uh, because in this valley we fight sodium issues a lot. So we want to offset that sodium and uh, get those calcium levels up. You know, you bring up a good point. So you talk about sodium and fighting an excess of a nutrient, and that's exactly what we would like to avoid on the farm. We'd like to balance things out and make sure, okay, I don't have too much of any one thing, but, man, sodium, if you get too much of that, that's not the easiest fix in the world all the time. How do you handle those excesses? Is that really the worst one, sodium, or do you run into excess magnesium like we run into out here? No, we have, we'll have excess magnesium, and that's what makes the sodium excess. <clears throat> we have, we've got you know, a, a fair amount of sodium in our irrigation water, and this whole valley is irrigated. We had half of our annual rainfall last week. We had an inch and a quarter. So we, we had a half of our annual rainfall at one time, and we may get another three-quarters of an inch this weekend. Who knows? But, but yeah, so we're all irrigated. Our irrigation water carries a lot of sodium in it. We probably have, per acre foot of water, we have almost a ton of salt, of sodium, in in that water. So it's important for us to keep flushing that sodium through the system. And, of course, vinyl love this. We try to use as much drainage tile as we can uh, and, you know, look at those kinds of things. And I'm, That's I'm the way to do a it. Lot of my growers, I'm getting a lot of my growers, Brian, to start paying attention to more shallow tile. So there's a lot yep. of tile in this valley that's four and a half to six foot. So we're going to three, three and a half foot, making a huge difference. Well, the other thing, but, when you mention uh, sodium, that's not leachable by itself. So you've got to make it leachable by making it a salt. And that's where combining it with uh, with sulfate or something like that absolutely helps. So, yeah, there, there are a couple of steps to getting that out of there. And it does make it tricky when you talk about how many tons you've got in an acre basis. Yeah, and we have a lot of, one of the things here is when I can put on um, a reasonable amount of calcium chloride, get some lime in the, in the soil, and, and again, we're dealing with pHs in these soils anywhere from um, a low of 7.9 to a high of about 8.4, 8.5. So, you know, I don't pay attention to the pH because I'm more concerned about that calcium percentage. So as we put on the lime and make that calcium available, it will shove that sodium off the soil particle because now calcium is the big bully on the block, okay? And as long as we have some way to leach it, we have a fair amount of sulfates that are that are tied up, again, because there's not enough water movement through the soil. So sulfates and chlorides, you know, tend to, you know, uh, accumulate. So as soon as you get that calcium in there, all of a sudden, boom, you know, I mean, I've had, cal- I've had chloride levels as high as, say, 7,000 parts per million, um, go to, I've, I've got them down to 250 to 300 in two or three years, put online and good drainage. Interesting. Yeah. The, the sodium thing is one, we get so many questions about that and everybody's in a different situation. I mean, in heavy ground, it's, it's a little more of a challenge and certainly in dry land, it's, it's a different challenge too. So yeah, a lot of things to think about there. Okay. You mentioned that, that as you get this budget set and you start prioritizing things, that uh, nitrogen and phosphorus, you know you're going to need a good quantity for the crop. But potassium, you put down the list just a little bit compared to those first two. What's different about potassium that you'd say, you know, I'm going to spend the money on N and P first? Well, the deal is, is the, the majority of people here always say, well, we have plenty of potassium in our soils, 
of course it's not available and as soon as if i can make that if i can get that calcium up i tend to make everything more available um you know i've got stuff here where i've gone from calcium levels is say 55 percent base saturation on a soil that's a te uh, that's a tec of say 25 um i've i've been able to 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 take that stuff and push out the excess magnesium or offset the magnesium get the calcium levels up and all of a sudden find a whole lot of, of minor elements that are available i've got our tests here show iron at one or two parts per million and i can i can get my calcium levels up to 70 between 70 75 percent and I, here i'm shooting for 80 10 ratios because we have so much magnesium in these soils so if i can get to get to 80 percent all of a sudden i'll have 100 150 200 parts per million of iron to just show up because i've made things more available so I'll do that. I'll put the calcium on before I put the potassium on. And then I just put on the potassium basically to take care of the crop needs, okay, whatever removal is, because of our high pHs. Unless I've got a grower that's able to use compost or manures so that we can build those, those potassium levels in these high pHs, because we can't build high, you know, the, the potassium levels in these high pH soils without using compost or manure. Yeah, it's nice when you've got those as alternatives to to be able to supplement what you're doing else, elsewhere on the farm. Hey, Bo, as we got you on today, I know you do a lot of stuff with Neil Kinsey. Neil's doing a workshop with us here coming up in less than a month now. What would you advise if growers had a chance to go hear Neil talk and, and hear about uh, the, the Albrecht system and just some of the experiences that, that Neil and, and guys like you have had over the years. What's that worth and how important should that be on their priority list? Well, I, you know, it, it all depends. You, you kind of have to prioritize things in life. Uh, is just hard working on the farm what you want to do all your life? Or do you want to actually make some money and be able to take care of your family? Okay. <laughs> You know, for me, I want to make some money on it. You know, I want a grower to make money because that's going to keep him alive. And, you know, I've been able to get guys. I'll give you an example. We just had a deal this last year. We got a guy put on some, had put in some new tile, some additional tile. And uh, this is ground that had an exchange capacity of about 18. And it, we're growing vegetables on it. It's got broccoli on it. And we had balanced the soils out. We had our we had our calcium levels at about 79%, our mag levels at 11. <clears throat> we had our potassium. We put on some compost. We had our potassium built up to about three and a half percent. We pushed our sodium down from six and a half to two and percent base saturation. And he planted this. This was the third block, uh, third 70 acre block in his planting rotation for broccoli. This particular block harvested a week and a half in front of his second planting and then yielded twice the amount of broccoli that the, the second planting made. So you get soils balanced, and we put in some zinc and a, a little bit of uh, copper there as well. And so you put these things in, all of a sudden, you know, your revenue back from a piece of ground that you've taken care of is going to pay you back. And so that's what I've learned from the Kinsey deals. Um, and I've been working with the program about 25 years. And I, and I just think it's, 
when I sit back and look at some of the drive-by, some of the fields that here in the valley, that <clears throat> the tail end is bare or whatever, I just immediately look at, okay, guys, that guy needs some calcium over there. We need some lime. Yeah, it's and neat. It's neat. Like you say, after uh, 20, 25 years of, of looking at this stuff, you can just start picking it out that, man, we could really help this person here. We could really help that person there. That's why why we've enjoyed working with Neil as well. Hey, Bo, we got to run, but thank you so much. We really appreciate having you on today. Stay tuned. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. You need a powerful herbicide to fight the war on weeds. Bellum is Rotam North America's mesotrion herbicide, and it fights against the annual broadleaf weeds attacking your cornfields. Winning this battle means higher yields, lower cost to you, and maximized profitability. For long-lasting residual weed control, check out Evinco, Vilify, and our newest mix, Rixa. For application, flexibility, and season-long control, that's Evinco, Vilify, and Rixa, powered by Bellum. For more information, visit bellumherbicide.com. That's B-E-L-L-U-M herbicide.com. A history of success means proven performance. But let's call performance what it is, profitability. And boosting yours, no matter what the season brings, is the goal of DeKalb brand corn. Backed by exclusive genetics, whole farm solutions, and unmatched dealer support. Let nothing shake your perseverance. Ask your dealer how DeKalb brand corn can help you realize a future of performance. Always read and follow IRM where applicable. Grain marketing and all other stewardship practices and pesticide label directions. Success isn't just about maintaining your operation, how you make out for the season, or how much you can get from each acre. It's about doing precisely what needs to be done to feed your crop and grow your legacy, all the way down to the last drop. Agroliquid Precision Crop Nutrition. Apply less, expect more. Find a retailer at agroliquid.com. This just in from Live Action News. Innovation has come to the world of burndown. New Elevore herbicide controls your toughest weeds, even glyphosate and ALS-resistant weeds like mare's tail and henbit. Talk with your retailer about Elevore herbicide today and ask how you can start elevating your burndown. When it comes to innovative herbicide formulations, you know New Farm. New Farm brings you Credit Extreme, the herbicide with dual salt technology that makes all the difference. Faster uptake, quicker rain fastness, and better control in variable weather, something we've all had our fair share of. When you need more powerful weed control for challenges like lamb's quarters and velvet leaf, with excellent safety to round up ready crops, you need Credit Extreme. New Farm and Credit Extreme, here to help. The Pentair Hypro Express Flush Valve reduces plugged nozzles and improves cleanout of your spray boom. Simply flush boom sections with a quarter turn ball valve and leave your tools in the cab. Plus, installation is easy. Simply remove the existing end cap plug and replace with the Hypro Express Flush Valve. Learn more at Pentair.com slash Hypro. Start your crop off right with the Germinator Closing Wheel from Farm Shop MFG. Our spike design excels on variable soils and shatters compaction. Plus, the unique shoulder firmer encases the seed to maximize seed-to-soil contact. Order yours at farmshopmfg.com. Welcome back. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. Thanks for joining us. We've been talking about balancing soil fertility. And just before the break, we were talking to Bo Shropshire out in California. He's a consultant out there. And and he's worked with Neil Kinsey on this Albrecht system of fertility for 
a, a generation and he's just seen such big differences and it, it's been really interesting all the research that we've done, we just haven't found much to contradict with it. We have one beef. We we think we can still build our K levels, but there are some qualifiers for that in soil that gets relatively high pH. It's a lot tougher to build in that high pH, but but it can be done. But wow, it's been it's been interesting. And just Bo hearing Bo's comments about why well, I drive by fields and I think, oh, nobody's talking to those guys about calcium. Everybody's focused on NP and K. And Bo had used an example of just getting the calcium level right made more nutrients available. And that's kind of what we're talking about today is just balancing soil fertility. When you've got excesses of one thing or another, it limits the availability of other things, and it just makes it more challenging. And if you say, well, my whole fertility program is I just need to put out so many pounds of NP and K, then please take another look. Pull some soil samples and and send them in to us. We'd love to take a look at it and offer some suggestions too, but it, it does make a difference when we get things in line in the soil. All right, one last thing that I will bring up in terms of balancing nutrients in the soil, and certainly we could run through lots of different ratios and and talk about a lot of stuff today, but I just wanted to give you a few highlights and things that we have really seen stand out. The next one is phosphorus to copper ratio. Now, I don't know exactly where it needs to be on your farm, but it's probably in the 30 to 1 to maybe 50 to 1 kind of range. Anyway, with phosphorus and copper, Obviously, you're going to be addressing phosphorus almost every year, right? But you probably don't think about copper very often at all. And this is one of the things that stood out to us looking through our data here over the last three years, where, again, if we got the phosphorus to copper ratio way out of whack, then we started suffering in terms of yield. So that's why we talk about all these ratios out there, because, I mean, ultimately... I don't care about soil tests. I don't care about any of this stuff. What I care about is at the end of the year, did my crop do well and did I make some money? Well, because these soil test ratios and balancing the soil fertility has such a large impact on yield and profitability, that's why we have to be focused on that. But, you know, again... I would look at what do you have on your farm for your own ratios, the crops you're raising, and what does your data really show you? So, I mean, and you can certainly run little trials, but since we now have the ability to do lots of soil testing in a hurry, compare that to yield data right off a yield monitor, man, that's awesome. It's powerful. So like on our farm, the last three years, we've done over 2,000 soil tests. We're doing one acre grids and we farm about 3,200 acres. So we're doing roughly two thirds, three quarters of the farm every year. And you don't have to go that extreme, go to that extreme, but we are just, we have more data and man, it's helpful. So when I look at it and I go, wow, it looks to me like if I get this ratio in line or if I get more zinc out there or more phosphorus or whatever it is, then I know that based on my own data, I am profiting more. My yield is going up. Well, then it's pretty easy to write that check. On the other hand, we have some things where the line might be going down and you say, yep, we're cutting back on that. 
or if it's flat, you know, so in other words, manganese is one for us where I don't care if we're at five parts per million or 50 parts per million, at least on a DTPA test, we're not seeing much yield difference. So that obviously is not a yield limiting factor for us. So why would I continue to invest dollars there? Anyway, in terms of balancing soil fertility, we absolutely would encourage you to take a look at this and uh, base saturation is something we talk about all the time. That's a ratio of each of those nutrients to each other. It's five different nutrients, uh, potassium, manganese, calcium, sodium, and hydrogen. And so that's the first thing a person could always look at for balancing soil fertility. Otherwise, you start looking at these ratios, like I mentioned, phosphorus to zinc, roughly 10 to 1. Phosphorus to copper, roughly 30 or 40, maybe even 50 to 1, somewhere in that general range. Uh, but certainly you could compare any nutrient to another nutrient and just see, hey, is am I seeing anything here yield-wise or not? All right, Darren, that's all I got. Anything else to add? No, I don't, but uh, I mentioned we get a number of, of contacts about talking more about balancing soil. So uh, this one for BF, hopefully you enjoyed today's program. If not, uh, listen to it another time and maybe you'll pick up a few more things out there because there are so many details, like Brian's talking about some of these ratios. We get a lot of questions around those too. And I'll when we dive into the Ag PhD mailbag here in a second, I want to start with that, if that's okay with you. Yeah, we already we were in the egg PhD right, mailbag earlier, Darren. Let's do so it. go ahead. Let's do it. All right. So this is from Matt. He's out in Oregon, and he said, "I've got soil tests of phosphorus as high as 238 parts per million. Now, normally 50 to 100, but where I've got super high testing phosphorus levels, should I try to increase my zinc? Like, for example, for that 10 to 1 ratio, 24 parts per million of zinc in those areas, or no. should I first burn up some of that phosphorus with my crop?" And okay. try to get things in line that well, way. Well, here's the question. And we've talked about this quite often on the show, and I mentioned it earlier in the day. You can deplete the phosphorus way faster than you're going to be able to deplete 24 parts per million of zinc. So you have to ask yourself the question, do I want to maintain 238 parts per million of phosphorus? If you do, then sure, go ahead to 24 parts per million of zinc. But if you say, well, I want to get that and draw it down to 100, okay, well, then 100 is your number, and now you're probably looking at somewhere around 10 parts per million of zinc. But what you don't want to do is get up to 24 parts per million of zinc, and then you decide, you know what, I want to deplete my phosphorus. That's exactly what we did on our farm, not quite to that extreme or anything, but we did that, and that was an absolute mistake. It was stupid, cost us a bunch of yield. Don't do that. All right, got a question here from DK, and we were talking about manure and compost earlier. He said, what's the big deal about the compost? Is the extra weight that you're hauling around with manure that big a deal, or should we just use manure rather than go through the work of compost? Well, the big thing for compost is it's more environmentally friendly. So in terms of manure in most states now, you can't just sit a manure pile out there all year long. You're going to, I mean, if it's a big pile, you're going to get regulated on that. Whereas compost, you can. So that's really what it amounts to. There's so much risk for loss out of that manure pile. Whereas with the compost, I mean, the, the, it, it's, I, I kind of phrase it like this. It's basically become organic matter. It's fully decayed. And so you have, to some degree, sterilized the thing. You've killed a lot of the 
insects that are in there and the weeds, but then also you've got the nutrients in a much more stable form and you aren't so worried about uh, everything that you would be with that manure pile. One last thing I'll throw out there too, it doesn't stink as bad as the manure pile, so people don't mind it being around. So those are the reasons, well, plus the fact that obviously, it, yeah, it is a little bit less for trucking and everything. Uh, so here's the way I'd look at it. If you're just talking a little bit of manure, you spread it on a regular basis, you don't have this big environmental risk, then manure is probably the way to go because there's less hassle. But if you've got any of those other factors that I just talked about, turn it into compost. All right, thanks for the for the question. This one comes from Robert. He said more of a comment than a question here. We're down in northeast Arkansas, southeast Missouri, cotton growing area. And on this cotton ground, the practice had been putting winter wheat out there to try to protect those young cotton seedlings early on from sand blowing and cutting off the cotton plants. Yeah, there's a lot of growers that are doing that in lighter sand. Uh, either go to no-till now and just leave residue out there or utilize cover crops to try to protect that next crop. That's Yeah, That's thanks for sharing that, Robert. Really appreciate hearing about that. I uh, got this comment from PWW. He said, Landowners need to lower their cash rents and land managers need to get out of our way and just let us work with the owners directly. You know what? There's a lot of land where where landowners want to rent it out directly. And there's others that, for whatever reason, they're not in the area or they don't want to do any dealing with that or don't have any experience dealing with ag land that they get middlemen involved. We'll talk a little more about that here right after the break. You're listening to Ag PhD Radio. A lot goes into keeping a precision operation moving. The inputs you choose have to deliver results. New Delaro Complete Fungicide from Bayer offers unmatched consistency and the most complete disease control available. Your corn and soybeans are protected and yields higher, even in unpredictable conditions. With Delaro Complete, you get results you can count on to help keep your precision operation running smoothly. Always read and follow label instructions. To learn more, visit delarocomplete.us today. The only innovation that matters is the one I need. With NK Seeds, their R&D program actually listens to farmers like me. So I get solutions that solve my challenges. With the support to make them count. Because progress means pushing my potential. And success matters. Push your potential at nkseeds.com. Fill once, plant all day. The Thrive 3D application system from FMC is a revolutionary in-furrow crop protection platform that plants up to 480 acres between refills. The Thrive 3D application system mounts to most major planter brands and can be yours at no cost with the FMC Freedom Pass program. To learn more, call 815-362-7747 today. Always read and follow all label directions. You're all set with the 4x4 turbo diesel truck. How about some options? Spray and bed liner? Absolutely. Tailgate step and nerf bars? Gotta have them. Tie down hooks and stainless steel toolbox? You know it. Tinted windows? Of course. Options are good. That's as true in the field as it is with your pickup. In addition to taking care of tough weeds, new Open Sky herbicide gives you more rotational choices than ever before and an easy-to-handle formulation. <laughs> Gooseneck toe package? Yep. Discover more Open Sky details at openskyherbicide.com. 
Customer service goes a long way when trying something new. Ryan Shaw from Michigan shares how Soil Warrior helped him transition to strip tillage in his operation. The Soil Warrior guys, they are amazing to work with. They made this jump in this transition extremely painless. One question that I get all the time is, how is the service and everything? And I said, well, actually, I get better service from them than I typically do my dealers uptown. They're just amazing. More info at SoilWarrior.com. Wherever you go, whatever you're doing, whenever you want. Farm your way with Case IH AFS Connect. Now you can farm, share data, and manage your fleet however, whenever, and wherever you want. Learn more at caseih.com slash farmyourway. Thanks for listening to Ag PhD Radio. Just for the break, uh, we're right in the middle of the Ag PhD mailbag, by the way. If you have a question, our phone lines are open at 844-44-AG-PHD. Just for the break, I had a comment about uh, landowners and if they choose to utilize somebody to manage their land and, and basically have a middleman involved, uh, and then that person works with the farmer. You know, there, that is something for, for our non-farm listeners. There are a lot of different ways that, that land gets managed. And, and oftentimes a farmer may own part of his land, and that's pretty easy. He owns the land. He can kind of choose to plant what he wants. Other times he may rent it from a different landowner, and there's a lot of land. What is it, Brian? Around half the land is rented now, and half the land is owned by the people farming it. And it may be people that farmed the land in the past, and they're retired, and they they just haven't sold the land, and they want to hold on to it. Or you just never know what the situation is going to be. Everybody's a little different. But the the challenge, and I know we see this in our area too, that that sometimes. Um, mom and dad will retire. None of the kids are farming, but, but they'll be renting that land out. And when mom and dad are gone, maybe those kids don't have any farm experience and they choose to have somebody else manage the land for them, but they don't want to sell it or they, whatever, they just don't live nearby. So there are a lot of different reasons that people get into those situations. All right, Brian, back to uh, some questions here. Got this one from Robert and he said, I'm a young farmer going into my second cropping season, Southeast Missouri. And I'm listening to your radio show. I've got soil samples in two and a half acre grids. And um, I also attended one of Neil Kinsey's three day clinics last spring. I applied 100 pounds of DAP, 100 pounds of potash, 30 pounds of elemental sulfur this fall. And I'm going to variable rate some DAP in the spring, as well as apply another 150 pounds of potash. It's family owned ground and the farm's my hobby. So I'm not scared to invest money into soil fertility that may have a longer term payoff. I will also apply. Uh, close to 300 total units of N in there in different applications, shooting for 250 bushel corn. So the samples that I sent below, it's furrow irrigated on beds with good drainage, CEC of around 8, and I just put on a ton of lime. My question is, besides addressing the biggies, NPK, sulfur, calcium, where else should I spend money? Okay, like in his case, he's only got an 8 CEC, and when we start talking irrigation, and already if it's Missouri, they get way more rainfall than we do. So when I'm thinking 8 CEC, even nutrients that we can hold fairly well, like potassium and sulfur, he's not going to be able to. Well, he did mention, so, too, that it's been ridge till for over 20 years, so their organic matter is actually better than you would think. It's right around 2. 
Well, yeah, but I'm still. I'm just saying. I'm saying it, a two 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 organic matter in, in an eight an soil. That's not bad. That isn't bad, but that doesn't change the fact that his K and sulfur is never going to stick around all year. No way, no chance, no how. He's got to add some as the season goes along, if he wants absolute maximum yields. That's my point. So yeah, the phosphorus, I mean, obviously he's got to get more phosphorus out there. He only has 53 pounds per acre. That's not nearly enough for 250 bushel corn. But I mean, getting that potassium up is fine to start the year and same thing with sulfur, but you're going to need some in-season application. Boron would be the same way. So just uh, some in-season application of potassium, sulfur, and boron, that's really going to help you. I would also say, like, for his copper levels, he's at 1.29 parts per million. That's really low. So, you know, that was something that I don't think that you mentioned there, Darren, and I would absolutely be trying to raise that. His zinc is also at 3 parts per million low. The nice thing with both zinc and copper, they're going to stick around for a while. So get those up. And then you should be in good shape. I also found it interesting that they said his magnesium at 18% was high. <laughs> That's not high. That's barely enough for an 8CEC field. So, you know, for a lot of the rest of these things where they give the um, their comments about deficient or low or high or whatever, most of the rest of those are okay. And in a soil like ours where we have 20 CEC, so we have heavy ground, then 18 would be high but not in light ground. We, we want that magnesium 18 to 20% in ground that's less than 10 CEC. So that's about right on. All right. Thanks for the question. Let's go back to the phone lines here. We've got Mike with us over in East Central Illinois. Mike, how are you today? Great. How are you guys getting along? We're doing well. We're doing well. I understand you have a question about soybeans. Yes. This year we had uh, what we believe was, I'm not sure if to pronounce it, Circospora. Yep, circospora. The turned to purple. Circa, okay, Cir all right. Circospora. Yep. Well, we were lucky. We had it in a thirty-acre field, and nobody around us had it, and we didn't have it in any, any of the other fields that we had. Okay, so in terms of circospora, I will just say this: we have raised seed production beans for, I don't know, almost my entire life. We also consult with literally hundreds of soybean seed growers around the United States. And we always tell those seed growers, you need at least two applications of fungicide, no matter what, don't care if it's the worst drought year you think you've ever had. And this is one of the reasons why, because you'll get purple seed stain that comes from that circospora. And we want to make absolutely sure that that seed looks good. So it can show up pretty late in the year too, where you think, oh, I'm in good shape. Everything looks great out in my soybean field. And here's the way it happens on a lot of farms. And I don't know if uh, how you feel about this, but a lot of times we get to where the beans are starting to set pods and a lot of guys say, I'm done. <laughs> I'm out. <laughs> I've spent the last dollar I'm going to spend. I don't care what happens from here on out. Nothing is really going to change much. But the problem is with Circospora, it could show up at R4 or R5, you know, just as those pods are starting to fill. And then all of a sudden you're in trouble in terms of the seed stain. Now, usually Circospora isn't this enormously huge yield robber. It's much more of a big deal in terms of seed production. Wouldn't you say, Darren? Yeah, yeah, no doubt about that. With seed production, we're really concerned about it. And, you know, it's just one of those things that, you know, any of these diseases, even if they're in low low doses out there, they aren't, they aren't bad, 
you know that it's hard on the beans and you know that it takes at least some little or puts some stress on the beans and then the next thing comes along and it hurts them even worse. So yeah, we just want to stay on top of it. Now here's one other thing because even if your beans aren't stained purple, they could potentially carry this into the next year. And so that's one of the reasons why if you're a seed grower and you want to make sure you don't have this problem, uh, or at least getting carried with the seed, then you just use a good seed treatment and that will help you there as well. So, yep, what, what we do on our farm, because pretty much all our soybeans are grown for seed production, we're always for sure using a good seed treatment and we are always for sure spraying fungicide at least a couple of times and then we pretty well never have the problem. Okay. Uh, what caught our attention was that the same lot number of beans we planted uh, in other fields and didn't see it in any other fields. Yeah. Uh, so we thought that was a little odd. And, and then just oh. wondered if in the future uh, we rotate corn beans. So if, you know, in a couple more years, will we have to specifically look out for this or or not? Maybe. And I don't think it's that odd that you see it in one field and not in a couple other fields with the same variety. That's just the way that it is. With some of these diseases, they happen to show up in various fields. Who knows if the inoculum just happened to be there. Maybe the inoculum was in the other two fields and for whatever reason your crop was healthy enough and fought it off. Or maybe it got the disease, just didn't show the purple stain. I I mean, a lot of things could have happened. But I, I would just say, again, this isn't usually a huge yield robber. So, you know, in a year like this, when we've got new crop beans will be 11 or $11 for this fall, you know what? I'm probably going to spend the money on fungicide, even if I'm just raising uh, beans for commercial product or, you know, for commercial use. I'm just a regular farmer, no seed production or anything. I'm going to spend the money on fungicide because then I believe that Circospora could possibly cause me an issue. But last summer, when the beans were down to seven bucks in our region, we said, eh, I don't know. Is it really worth it? Are we that concerned about that one particular disease? The biggest problem we have with fungicide in general is we just don't know what diseases are going to show up. Is all of a sudden frog eye going to going to pop up? Are we going to have some other harmful disease that shows up? Or is it just going to be something like a little bit of Cercospora that stains my beans a little, doesn't usually hurt the yield a whole lot? Okay. So yeah, I I wish I had, yep. So I wish I had some concrete answer for you to say, yep, absolutely spray or absolutely don't. (laughs) It's pretty much always going to be a little bit of a judgment call, but hopefully you got some information on it now. I am. And as always in farming, it's a just a guess. So appreciate it. Educated guess. Yeah, that's exactly right. The educated guess, that's the part that I want to bring up. And that's why we do our show here. So hopefully people have the information to make that educated, responsible decision. And maybe you can earn a few extra bucks on the farm this year. Hey, Mike, thanks for the call. Appreciate it. Talked about balancing soil fertility on today's program, and I did mention, but uh, I'll mention it one more time. If you go to agphd.com, if you really want to get good at fertility, one of the best guys that we know about talking about this subject is Neil Kinsey, and he's doing a workshop with us. You can find all the details there. Thanks for listening to our show today. Be sure to join us again each weekday for more Ag PhD Radio.